pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to hear all that you have in your word for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Very good evening to all of you. I'm so glad that you are here with us at Church of the Good Shepherd uh, for our 4 p.m. service. Welcome not only those of you who are here live, but also those who have come and uh, joined us on the live stream. Uh, I think you know that um, the, the diocese sent out a directive asking that people who are 70 and above to stay home for the next two weeks. Uh, this is all part of the um, um, plan in which the government has to try and reduce the uh, chances of infection growing at an astronomical rate. And there are all kinds of measures that are in place. And I heard there are going to be some more measures that are coming in because, you know, things are changing, not just here in Singapore, but around the world. We thank God that most of it has been controlled within Singapore. But I just saw an interview that our uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, Vivian Balakrishnan, gave. And he said, you know, we cannot be complacent. Just because we've contained it in the first phase doesn't mean there isn't a chance for reinfection because, you know, you know that the news tells us it's been spreading around the world. And, you know, we're not, uh, we're not isolated from the world as much as we try to be. You can't really stop it entirely. And so we need to be vigilant and we will continue to be so. And uh, later on during announcements, I'll talk about some possibilities moving forward as things change, what we will be doing, what measures uh, we are preparing to put in place for ourselves. But nonetheless, today, I want us to continue in this series on the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the Decalogue. And today we are in the ninth word. You shall not bear false witness. I've entitled my sermon, Truth Matters. And I think you know that um, Pilate, when he was um, uh, trying uh, Jesus... Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, you know, when Jesus told him that I hear, I only speak the truth, Pilate said this, what is truth? You know, and in some ways, that could be the question uh, we are asking in our society today. What is truth? I think you know that we, uh, the WHO has declared a pandemic, meaning that this epidemic has gone beyond just a few isolated nations, that it's crossing all kinds of borders, and, you know, it's, it's uh, growing very fast. But, you know, they have said that there's not only a pandemic of the coronavirus, there's also a pandemic of fake news. Uh, this is a news report from BBC, and there are a few other news reports that have pointed out, you know, with the, the, uh, uh, the virus infecting people, there's an even greater danger that fake news is infecting people. In fact, last night, I remember one of my chat groups on WhatsApp uh, I'm on a lot of chat groups, not just church-related, but even sometimes uh, um, my alumni association, I have groups, we play rugby, we, play, uh, uh, we go cycling, and someone posted something about, you know, a gargle with salt water, uh, uh, salt and warm water, and it will kill the coronavirus and um, um, dispel all the germs. Well, even the WHO had to come up with a Mythbuster website to tell us that's not true. You know, it may treat the symptom of a sore throat, but it doesn't kill the virus because the virus is throughout your body. You know, you cannot kill it just in a localized way. You know, and, and so to be careful that we don't give uh, false information. I even heard one, uh, someone was saying, 
people were sending information, gargle with bleach solution. It's like, oh my goodness, you do that, you will see your maker sooner. <laughs> you know, don't do that. So we need to be careful. But when we look at this uh, commandment itself, in reality, at, on the surface, it is not about lying. It's actually about bearing false witness. And specifically, you know, in the court of law. However, as you know, we, we've done, as we've gone through each of the commandments, you realize that later on in Exodus and then on into Leviticus and then the rest of the Old Testament especially, and even in the New Testament, God begins to elaborate what He means by each of these words. And what we know from this commandment is that, you know, it's more than just a courtroom. It actually is dealing with all kinds of dishonesty, with deception, with ways in which, you know, we use our, our tongue loosely or our lips, you know, slander others or we betray others or even gossip. And that's why um, we, we see in the reading from James, you know, James warned, James was the brother of Jesus and he wrote this epistle and he said this, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You know, he used the illustration of how a little bit can move a great beast, or a small rudder can steer a big ship. And in the same way, when our tongues are unguarded, it can lead us astray. It can cause big problems. I remember uh, I had a young man whom I knew, who someone uh, gave him a nickname, called him Mr. Talk-A-Lot. And because Mr. Talk-A-Lot, uh, you know, he, had, uh, 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 he used to say a lot of things, I taught him to memorize this verse. It's uh, from the reading in Proverbs, but this one's from the Good News Bible. It's a little bit easier. Proverbs 10, 19 says, The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. If you're wise, you'll keep quiet. And actually, I try to memorize this verse for myself because sometimes people accuse me of having verbal diarrhea. I talk too much. <laughs> but that's a good policy. And it's important that we recognize this because ultimately, you know, if our tongue is unguarded, uh, we are more likely to sin. We are living in a situation in this uh, day and age where someone wrote a book about the age we're living in and he entitled his book, truth decay you know and there is a measure in which that's what we are facing in this what is now called the postmodern age or the postmodern era there is a, a, a rejection of you know uh, truths in the big sense capital T truth uh, they reject the meta narrative and they're saying you know each of us has our own narrative that we decide for ourselves everything is local and contingent and it's best summed up in the phrase, maybe you've heard sometimes people say this, oh, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Right? So they make everything relative in a sense. And as a result of this relativism, there's a loss of confidence uh, in authority. There is a skepticism and a mistrust, you know, and, and uh, the, the reason for that is because they say, oh, these people in authority have this... Uh, self-serving bias. They're only saying it for their own good and their own needs. And, you know, to be honest, it's not 
an entirely untrue accusation. You know, this is a reality and it's a, a situation that I think all of us, if we are honest, all of us struggle with, myself included. Uh, social scientists and psychologists tell us there's something called cognitive biases that all of us are plagued by. One example of a cognitive bias, and I've talked about this in a previous sermon, is uh, the bias known as the fundamental attribution error. What is that? It means that, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to attribute things uh, wrongly based on our own biases. For example, you know, if we were in this situation that we are facing right now as an economic downturn, and suddenly one of us gets laid off, or maybe both of us get laid off in the same company, you know, the fundamental attribution error works something like this. Oh, that guy, he deserved to be laid off because he's such a lazy fellow. You know, he never does the work he's supposed to do. I always pick up his slack. But me, I got laid off because, you know, I've been misunderstood. You know, I, I never uh, uh, play office politics, so I got left behind. And this way in which, you know, you would, anything bad that happens to me, it's other people's fault. Anything bad happens to someone else, it's their own fault. And this is uh, an example of fundamental attribution error. But there's another type of um, cognitive bias, which uh, I, I recently, well, it's not recent, but I, I came across that I think, you know, um, gives us an idea of why we are in the place we are at. And it's a, 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 a bias called confirmation bias. It was first uh, discovered by a group of researchers in Stanford University in 1975. They conducted a series of uh, studies, and what they did was this, this particular experiment. They had 25 sets of suicide notes, pairs, in pairs. One would be an, a, a genuine suicide note which was picked up from the coroner's office of people who actually committed suicide. The other note was written by random people, you know, uh, written as if it's a suicide note. So one is true, one is fake. And what they did was they had two groups of people in their study. One group of people that supposed to sort through all 25, the other group also the same. What they said, the researchers told one group. He said, oh wow, you did a great job. 24 out of 25 you got right. This is what they told them. The other group said, well, you didn't do so well. You know, you couldn't even get 10 right out of the 25. That means less than 50% correct. And so, you know, that's how they uh, uh, initially told them the results. But later on, they came in and said, well, no, actually, you, we were just testing you. In reality, uh, you know, you all were just about average. And uh, uh, this was false. It was a falsified uh, result that we were just trying to test your reaction to what you are told. And then later on, they went back and they would interview each of these groups. And what was interesting was this. The group that were told in the first place that they got 24 out of 25 right, and then later on told, this is fake news, that that is not actually how you did. When they asked them to self-evaluate, how did you think you did? All of them evaluated that they did better than average, that they are more intelligent than the average person in picking out what's true and what's false. Guess what happened when they spoke to the other group? When he spoke to the other group, asked him how you did, all of them said, we did worse than average. We didn't do very well. This is despite the fact that the researchers had already given them the facts 
that actually we, we told you wrongly, you know, we, we misled you. And this is the nature of confirmation bias. The researcher said this, impressions once formed are remarkably perseverant. And in the average case, how we see this manifested is, you, know, you ever talk to a person and then you begin to tell them things, say, hey, hey don't, 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 go, don't confuse me with the facts. I, I don't want to hear your facts. I already have made up my mind. You know, this is confirmation bias at work, that we tend to embrace information that supports our beliefs and we will reject what contradicts them. This is why they talk about nowadays echo chambers. And the reality is that, you know, the rise, the phenomenon of the rise of social media has made it even worse. We know how social media works. If you don't know, you know, be informed, right? A lot of social media, they have algorithms at work. So every time you get onto Facebook and you like this, like, 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 it learns what you like. And to keep you on their media, they begin to feed you more of what you like. And so pretty soon, all you see is what you like, the kind of news which you like, which you... Uh, and and it's not a matter of whether it's factual or not. It's helping or feeding your confirmation bias in, in very many ways. And, you know, you go beyond that. You think about social media. For example, Instagram, you know, it's a form of media that I think promotes lying. <laughs> right? Because you, you try and carefully curate your image. You don't show what really is, you show what you hope the world will see you as. You know, so that you Photoshop and you do things, until so much so that if you want to say that this is true, you put down there hashtag no filter. Alright, to pretend as if this is the genuine truth, unfiltered truth. But of course, all of us know it isn't. And if you've ever gone onto Twitter, I'm on Twitter a bit because oftentimes, you know, uh, a lot of news comes in through there and I have friends uh, where I, I, I find out about, you know, new papers, theological papers that are being written through Twitter. But it's not a very nice place to be because uh, uh, people are unvarnished in sometimes their slander, their gossip, they'll tear people down. You know, I, I, sometimes when I read uh, Facebook posts, I try not to read comments because some of the comments are very unkind and are oftentimes not helpful and even hurtful. I mean, we remember a few weeks ago, I think, was it, uh Chan was sharing about how the, the K-pop stars were, were, you know, so distressed, took their own life uh, because, was it you? No, I think it's Evangeline. I mixed it up, sorry. <laughs> took their own life because of these un, um, unkind comments which tore a person down. Peter Leithart, who wrote that uh, commentary on the Ten Commandments, which I've been using as a guide, he said this, Not by accident, but by design, social media encourages violations of the ninth word. You know, sure enough. But I wonder, you know, is this really just something that plagues us who lives, live here now in the 21st century? Not if I read my scripture correctly. This is something that has plagued entire human nature. This is the reason why we uh, struggle with false teachers, right? The reading from James tells us that you need to be careful. You shouldn't uh, 
not many of you should become teachers, for you know we who teach will be judged with greater strictness because if you're not careful, you can lead others astray. The false teaching is actually what is the uh, uh, technical term is what we would call heresy. And uh, Bishop Fitzsimmons Allison, in his book, The Cruelty of Heresy, said this. I've quoted this before, but I think it's well worth uh, repeating. He said, We are susceptible to heretical teachings because in one form or another, they nurture and reflect the way we would have it be rather than the way God has provided, which is infinitely better for us. As they lead us into blind alleys of self-indulgence and escape from life, heresies pander to the most unworthy tendencies of the human heart. And this is why false teaching, you know, takes root so easily. Why we are so easily led astray by false doctrines and false gospels. Because, you know what? It tells us what we want to hear. Isn't that what uh, um, um, Scripture tells us? That our itching ears lead us astray. And that is the nature of uh, the human uh, um, um, problem. So what is the solution to this truth decay? Ultimately, it is to tell us that we need to know the truth. And, you know, one way we can understand this particular word, the ninth word, as I've shared with you, the, 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 from word 6 to 10, basically they falls under the second tablet. And the second tablet really conforms to the, the, the second part of the great commandment, that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we are called to be truth-tellers, to be people who cling to the truth and hold to the truth and speak the truth so that we can love our neighbor. But if we are honest, truth-telling is not always easy, is it? In fact, truth-telling can be very dangerous. How many times have we, because we've told the truth to someone, found that that relationship has broken down? Because they don't want to hear the truth. Now, Sometimes it's because of the way we speak the truth. You know, instead of uh, um, edifying, we tear them down and we criticize and it, it, it's, it's not delivered in the right way. But even if we've done the best that we can, don't be surprised when you speak the truth that people are upset with you. Look at uh, John chapter 8, verse 40. Jesus himself, he says, And now you seek to kill me, he said to the Jews, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did because they were claiming we are children of Abraham. And he said, no, you're not. And you know, Jesus went to the cross because he told the truth and they did not want to hear the truth. And that is the nature or, or human nature. You know, in this uh, whole epidemic and outbreak, of course, we've heard the tragic story in China of this doctor uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, an uh, ophthalmologist in Wuhan. He was the first to actually alert uh, a chat group of other doctors that there is a SARS-like uh, virus that seems to be on the loose in Wuhan. And, you know, as soon as he posted that, he got censured. And in fact, he got hauled into the police station. He was made to make a statement to recant what he said and say, I was wrong. 
And of course, later on, we know that he was telling the truth and he was trying to alert medical community. And, you know, uh, um, the authorities later on made him a hero because he lost his life. He actually died from uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus. But, you know, apparently I've been reading, uh, they still haven't expunged his, his criminal record. So as far as the official record is concerned, you know, he's, he was supposedly censured for doing what he did. And that's how we can always often find ourselves. So what is the solution for us? How do we as Christians live out this word in our lives? I think, you know, as with everything that uh, we are called to do as Christians, the principle is ultimately we are called to overcome evil with good. That we need to learn as the believers to learn to speak the truth in love. To be people who are truth bearers, who seek out the truth, who are not afraid of the truth no matter how difficult that truth may be. That is what we are called to do and called to be. But you know, this question of lying is not an easy one. In fact, the other day, uh, someone was asking me because this question came up in their cell group. You know, how is it this uh, person is uh, a hero of faith and they lied? How do, we, how do we come to terms with it? Well, I was looking and I was researching. St. Augustine himself was quite an absolutist about truth. For him, there is no way in which you can uh, uh, justifiably lie as far as Augustine was concerned. But if you read Scripture, you know, it's not so clear in some ways. For example, in Exodus chapter 1, you remember the Hebrew midwives? They were instructed by the Egyptians, if a Hebrew child is born, tell us so that we may kill them. And the midwives, you know, uh, claimed, oh, sorry, Hebrew women are very strong. They give birth very quickly. And, you know, before I know it, the child's already born and then they've left already. I can't tell you, which was a lie. But ultimately, they preserved the life. Or think of the story in Joshua chapter 2. When the uh, Israelites were entering into the promised land, one of the big strongholds was Jericho. And Joshua sent spies into Jericho to try and spy out the land to see, you know, what was before them and what God would have them do. And remember, they were found out and they were being pursued uh, by the, the guards of uh, the city. And they went to hide with this uh, prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab, what did she do? They came around and said, oh, we saw them come to your house. What did she say? She said, oh, I didn't know who they were. I think they went that way. And then after the guards run that way, they told the two spies, you better go this way. <laughs> and in a sense, I mean, honestly, she lied. But look at this. James chapter 2, just before the passage we read, James 2, uh, verse 25. It says, And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So, to me, I think the clear uh, witness of Scripture, at least as far as I can see, is not uh, cut and dried when we tell the truth. Jerome, the church father, you know, graded lies. That there's malicious lies, there are some innocent lies, and then there are lies which are humorous. You know, and so it's only malicious lies that are considered bad. But I think, if we think in terms of the larger picture, that if this comes under the tablet of 
loving your neighbor as yourself. If you think in terms of the Hebrew midwives, you think in terms of Rahab, you can think of the story of Cory Ten Boom herself. The lies that are told to save a life, I think is, you know, it supersedes that because ultimately you are loving your neighbor as yourself. That that is the, 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 the law or the commandment that we are obeying. But this verse, I didn't uh, read it with you, but if you look just a couple of verses earlier, basically this is where um, James, the uh, apostle, was speaking to them and he was saying to them that, you know, faith without works is dead. And he pointed just before this verse to Abraham, that Abraham is an example of one who was uh, uh, counted to him as righteousness, called be a friend of God, because not only did he believe God, but his belief, you know, uh, was practically worked out in the way he lived his life. And that's why, you know, the, the, the Jewish hearers of Jesus in John chapter 8 would claim we are children of Abraham, right? Because he's the father of faith that we uh, see as an example. What's interesting, you see, as I was researching for this, I have a Bible software which helps me do topical studies. And when I typed in lying, it pulled out all the passages in Scripture that uh, pertain to it. And there were two, or actually three, uh, uh, stories within Scripture relating to Abraham and his descendants, which tell me that our father of faith, Abraham, was a liar himself. <laughs> you remember the story in Genesis chapter 20 of how he came into the territory of Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And he was frightened that he may lose his life because his wife, Sarah, was very beautiful. And, you know, in those days, I guess it was common practice. If I want your wife, I kill you so that I can take your wife as my own wife. So he said to her, devise the strategy, tell the king that you are my sister. And uh, that's what she did. And so Abimelech then took Sarah into his household, preparing to marry her. And in the middle of the night, God appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said, you are doing something that's unrighteous. This Man, Abraham is a prophet and you have taken his wife. Oh, Abimelech panicked. Next morning, he woke up and said to Abraham, what are you doing? Why are you trying to get me in trouble? Why did you say something like that? What comes out is kind of sordid, right? Because ultimately, Abraham says, well, I didn't quite lie. She is actually my sister by the same father, just different mother, that's all. That's another question altogether. We won't go there to open that can of worms. But, uh, you know, in the end, Amazingly, Abimelech blessed him and gave him great riches and wealth because he was a man of God. And I think it speaks greatly to Abimelech's character. Always interesting to me is, you know, the sins of the father visit the son. Who is Abraham's son? Isaac. You read later on, Genesis chapter 26. Isaac encounters Abimelech again. And same thing happens, he was afraid because his wife, Rebecca, was beautiful. And so he used the same subterfuge. This is not my wife, this is my sister. And Abimelech again took Rebecca into his household. And again, God appears to Abimelech. You know, I don't know what he's thinking, what's wrong with this family? 
And then you come to the third generation, Isaac. Isaac, uh, uh, Isaac had his son named Jacob. And Jacob, the name means the supplanter, the one who grasps because he grabbed his brother Esau's heel, the one who grabs that which is not his. You know, in a sense, it's a, it's a name which means that he's, he's a liar, he's a con man. And you see the sins seem to follow in generations. And yet we know that Jacob ultimately was renamed Israel, the son of God, the one who, you know, fathered the nation who were God's people. And this is where we find ourselves. So the reality is, you know, this sin is wrapped up in our hearts. The propensity to not speak the truth, to lie, to dissemble and to tear other people down is something that is deep within. That's why James points out, right, that you cannot bring forth fresh water from a salt pond. It ended in the passage that we read from James chapter 3. Why we understand that ultimately what needs to happen is that we need to become new creations. That God is the one that needs to reform us. God is the one that needs to renew us. God is the one that needs to help us become a people who not just speak the truth to others, but learn to speak the truth to ourselves first. You know, that's why we meet like this every week. So that the Word of God can be spoken over us. In the Anglican uh, tradition, we um, use Scripture liberally throughout the service. Our prayers are all based on Scripture. We read large portions of Scripture. Sometimes I don't even touch on the passages that are read, but they're read nonetheless. I remember as I was growing up, my father used to teach me, because I remember going to one service once, an Anglican service. We were visiting in a city, and we went to a church, as was, was our custom. And I said to my dad, Aya, this guy cannot preach. Uh, we can't get nothing out of it. Better like that. Why don't we just do a... Uh, um, uh, uh, devotion in the hotel room instead of having to come all the way to the church. And he said to me, he taught me a lesson. He said, was the word of God read in, scripture, uh, in the service? I said, yes. He said, as long as the word of God is read, there's something you can learn and you can benefit from. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Where the word of God is spoken, you know, there is always a benefit, no matter how uh, boring or dull a preacher may be. And I think that's an important uh, lesson for us to learn and to know. And ultimately, you know, truth is this. Isn't it Jesus who said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free? You know, if you visit different uh, institutes of higher learning, uh, in the US especially, and even in, in, in the West, in England, you often find an inscription. This is the University of Texas uh, in Austin. And one of the main buildings, there's this inscription, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But not only institution of higher learning, this is the inscription in the lobby of the CIA, Langley, US. You know, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Uh, quoting from John 8, uh, verse 32. But they use it in a sense that I think is not what God or what Jesus ultimately meant. They talk about truth as being, uh, you know, um, finding out the truth or propositional truth. 
But if you look carefully at the context of what Jesus was saying, if you look at the passage, look at eight, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That he was talking about the fact that you are disciples of Christ, that this truth will set you free. But even that, we need to clarify because it's more than just knowing Christian knowledge or knowing the Bible. It goes much deeper than that because later on in verse 36, he clarifies, he says this, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The truth he talks about is not philosophical truth, it's not intellectual truth, it's not propositional truth, not even theological truth. It is the truth that is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That it is in the relationship with Him that Jesus sets us free. Sets us free from the web of deception that we find ourselves in. Sets us free from that propensity we have to speak untruth and to tear others down with our tongue. Sets us free from this body of sin and death. Free to become all that we can be, but more importantly, free so that we can love our neighbour as ourselves. And today, as we come to the table of our Lord, that is what I hope we remember. That as we come to the table, it is there to help us remember this objective truth that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That His body was broken, that we may be made whole. His blood was shed, that we may be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And that we would enjoy the love, the freedom that comes from the forgiveness that is freely offered to us. But not that we will hold it to ourselves, but that we would also become channels of this forgiveness to others. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the truth that is contained within your word. Lord, there are times in which we have allowed ourselves to be deceived by the ways of the world and the things of the world, deceived by our own selfish desires and ambitions, deceived by uh, the culture around us. But today, Lord, we come back to you and we recognize that the truth is ultimately found in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that, Lord, you would con conform us more and more to the likeness of your Son. That you would continue to reform and renew that within us which needs to be changed. So that we can become a people of truth.
that speaks truth in the world, that upholds truth no matter what the cost. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to do this deep work in us in the days ahead. Ask and pray all this in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Amen.